Welcome back, viewers and listeners. We are officially at the fifth episode of our podcast, The Philosophical Outlook. Uh, once again, we are joined by our co-host, Nabil Abdulkader. And today, the topic we are going to talk about is epistemology and the theory of knowledge. So Nabil, once again, thank you for joining. Uh, how are you feeling? You're feeling good? Uh, I'm feeling good. I, I'm, uh, you know... I'm in the mood to, should I, I don't know, do, do I feel good? How, how do I know if I feel good? Mm, how do you know? Good question. How do, I, how do I know? But how do I know if I exist? I feel good. Good. I feel good. Three things. I feel good. How do I know if I exist? How do I know if I feel? And how do I know if it's actually good? These are no, actually... Uh, no, no matter how sarcastic they sound, these are actually uh, real questions that philosophers try to answer, and that that is what we're going to dig into today. So the topic. Wow, the coincidence! Wow. Today, the topic that we have uh, today is is the the branch of philosophy that is known as epistemology, but in a more simple sense, it's basically the theory of knowledge. So the idea here is that uh, philosophy comprises of questions that that question the nature of things right so for example metaphysics is like how is material made up of how is non-material things made up of etc etc but epistemology itself talks about the nature of knowledge that how is knowledge made up of and hence uh, tries to actually answer all those questions that you have been asking that uh, how do i know whatever i know right so that that, that is I mean, uh, jokes aside, I understand even uh, within the circle of philosophers, when we when we talk, we have like a great in-depth conversation at the end of the day, we are like, you know what, <laughs> it, it gets overwhelming. So it, uh, jokes aside, like, um, would you say that, in, you know, as, as, as somebody not as not a philosopher, but still a person of rationality, still a person of logic in your day-to-day -day life, do you think you ever come across questions like how do I actually know what I know or how do I know uh, that what I know is true do, do you think you ever find yourself uh, pondering over the nature of knowledge because I think that is the the basics of how and why epistemology exists in the first place okay so first of all let's you know let me be the grounded person here and say come on you know like some things just make sense. You know, one plus one is what? One plus one is two, right? Okay. Is a square a circle? Yes. No, no, a square has four sides, all right? <laughs> a circle has like okay. infinite amount of sides, all right? Let's, let's okay. make it simple, right? Then we come to the question uh, of, you know, like all these things. Let's make it practical. I'll receive a WhatsApp message from my parents mm -hmm. saying that, oh my God, you know, like, COVID-19, how do you cure COVID-19? Don't, don't take the vaccine. Don't worry about the vaccines. Don't worry about all that crap. All you have to do is um, take this, you know, like take a piece of uh, onion, right? And put it under your chair, right? The aroma of the onion, you will, you will absorb the aroma of the onion through your nose. Trust me, in one week, COVID-19 will be gone, right? Is that this an is actual WhatsApp message you got? <laughs> um. This is what happened, you know? This is what happened. I was coming home 
and I was going to the dining room and I, my dad just grabbed this bunch of onions and just putting it under the chair. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing, dad? It's like, it's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm shooing away all these like diseases, right? And I'm like, are you sure that's real? No, no, we just, just in case, just in case it's real. I'm like, oh, okay. But I'm that like, such a solid argument, just in case. You, you cannot argue with that. You know, okay. let's just try if we don't try we never know i'm like okay now yeah, yeah. now in my mind okay let's let's try uh for uh one month uh, for half the month we try it and then half the month we don't try it and then we do the same test you know a control measure all this stuff right scientists anyway back back to the main things right i received the message so in my mind i mean this is absolutely not true and how do i know it's not true i know it's not true because there's articles about it. You can go, you know, online. You can go to, you know, like uh, me as a biomedical background, you can go to PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D. And you can see all the articles about, you know, like the effects of onion, all this, and they can prove it or they can not prove it. But what if they're wrong? Mm-hmm. What if my parents' website sources mm-hmm. are right? What if I'm the one who's wrong? Mm-hmm. So I, I just go through down this rabbit hole of like, why, do, why should I trust these people instead of trusting my parents? What is true and what is not true? All, all these mm-hmm. things. So it's, it's all about questioning truth. And I think, I think it's just, first of all, it's, you're already on the right track if you're asking these questions. If you don't ask these questions at all, if you just look at a WhatsApp message and it sounds like from, you know, like someone, the, 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 the narrative is always like this. Narrative is always like, there's someone in Brunei that is a whistleblower. <laughs> this person is telling you the hidden truth, right? Mm. Guys, spread this to as many people as possible. Guys, I- I- I'm in the war zone right now. I'm in the COVID-19 facility. And guys, you won't believe what they're not telling us. They're not telling us all this stuff. Spread this message to as many people as possible. And the tone of it, it sounds legit, so legit. So it mm. gets viralized f- by people who have this sort of fear. Uh, but then when it comes to my, you know, I'm like, I, I can tell right away because, you know, in, in Toastmasters, we talked about public speaking. We talked about how to persuade people, how to tackle, uh, how to take advantage of their emotions, how to take advantage of their logic, how to sound very convincing. So these are sort of the tools we use. And I can see those tools being used. But my parents, you know, being not of, you know, from that background, they, they, they don't know how to, do, they don't know the tools that are being, they just follow their feelings. Okay. But again, going back to the statement, how do I know if my truth triumphs their truth? Uh, and uh, I, my answer to that, my answer to that is truth is consistent. Truth is consistent. If you lie and then someone asks you, like say, for example, uh, Salman, you stole $100 from me. Uh, Salman, uh, you stole $100 from me. Give me, the, give me back the money. And you're like, no, no, uh, I, I didn't steal $100 from you. So I'm like, okay, where did the $100 go? Last time I was in your room. Uh, and then I asked the people around you. Uh, and then uh, the, people ar- so, uh, the people around you saw you there. So you take the $100. So you have to convince your other people to tell me that they're lying. So w- eventually I'll come to the truth. I'll come to... An eyewitness that eventually says, no, I, I saw Salman taking the $100, you know, but 
if you have a lie, you have to consistently build the lie. Eventually, you will come to the truth. The truth mm -hmm. is well tested. Science, science tries to come to the truth. Uh, the way science works is that science doesn't tell you that this is the absolute truth. This is the closest to the truth that we can go to. This is the least wrong. That's how science works, right? This is the least wrong. We have proven everything else other than this one. So this must be true. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not sure. I think, Let I'm, me know I'm if, not sure yeah. if... I'm not sure if, um, if that is how science has been working, at least in the recent times. So here's the thing, right? I think there are a few things, uh, the, the, the overall idea that you conveyed about uh, the three things, right? There's, there's truth. And then there is a justification of truth. So that can be like, for example, you said testimony that somebody would, would have seen you. So that's testimony, witness, or some sort of justification. So that justification uh, gives sort of like liberty to give support to that, that truth. So for, 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 the, for a statement to be true, and we'll see later how these are the very, there are very specific terminologies for uh, epistemological ideas to, to actually explore these. But for, for the sake of this conversation, I believe that um, the, the idea that science does some sort of elimination is not one that is, I would say, at least it's not the most prevalent idea, right? So I, I believe that uh, the, the focus of science, at least in the past hundred or few, maybe two, three centuries has been, uh, you, you have a theory, you have a hypothesis. And then you find supporting evidences once again. So you have a claim and you find justification for that claim. And if the justification makes sense for that claim, um, it, it, it works. You know, it, it's, it's a proven theory now. It's, it's not a theory anymore. It's a proven fact. It becomes a scientific fact. But um, here's, here's, I think, where, where philosophy would differ because uh, we'll see later how philosophy broadly divides these these. Uh, information that we have into different categories of as to how we have these informations. But coming back to the point, I think um, you, you give me quite an interesting outlook on how you as, you know, a person not involved in philosophical literature, yet a person of reason, right? So you're like, okay, I, I get a false rumor, I get something and I do not know, maybe from scientific evidences, I do not know but maybe let's just say it sounds too good to be true or, you know, it just sounds bogus. So, you know, you can eliminate it. So something like that, something like that, some idea about how uh, even, even common men can actually deduce rationality. But here's, here's what, I, what, I, what I'm interested in. Why would you say that uh, somebody, uh, let's say your parents were convinced by the same facts that you were not convinced by? So, I mean, maybe your parents did not exactly grow up and learn the same way you do, but let's say uh, they're still learned people, right? They're still, uh, most, most of our parents are learned and uh, working even. So why, why would you say that? Uh, wh what do you think is the reason that somebody of your or mine level of intellect, which can arguably be, you know, because we do not know how to define intellect, maybe IQ, but it can arguably be less than parents even. And in most cases it is, you know, especially when you consider things like experience. But at the end of the day, 
uh, we do often see that this is a common scenario that our parents are getting scammed by these sort of uh, online uh, things. What, what, what do you think is the reason? What is your outlook on this? Okay, let me simplify, right? Um, if I take an onion mm -hmm. and go to uh, the isolation centers and put all the onions down their chairs, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Will there be a dramatic decrease in the amount of COVID-19? And but, uh, but we know that you have not done more. that yet. You have not mm. done such an experiment, nor does anybody who have not like nobody has done it. But, you know, randomly you see that in a WhatsApp message and you know that this cannot be true. So even for your own self, you have not uh, proven it to be wrong. Right. But still something, you know, it's like something is off about it. How come an onion is fixing all this COVID? So maybe you're just putting putting together uh, the fact that oh if that was the case then who would have done it international organizations would have done it you know something about that that it doesn't i don't know all right all right okay let, let, let me put it in more ridiculous way because in philosophy right we try to make examples of all that stuff right um i'm a short guy okay a message what's that message tells me here's how to be taller I like how, be, how, how be, I like where this is going. <laughs> Here's how to be taller. Okay. Uh, take a chopa chips lollipop, and it has to be strawberry flavor. It cannot be. It cannot be any flavor, okay. right? Okay. Take a strawberry flavor, and um, uh, take it out, and uh, blow on it three times. Don't do it four times. Don't do it two times. It has to be three times, right? Okay. Uh, now, put it. <laughs> on your left nose can't be a right nose put it on your left nose right and then jump jump up and down five times one <laughs> two three four five right what is this example right? okay <laughs> on the fifth jump okay. uh say alakazam and if you do it right you'll grow one centimeter taller okay right will this work now, here's, see, here's the problem, right? Even before you have tried it, even before you, because when you, when you, when you basically open up the, the idea of how modern rationality works, we talk about all these things like you were talking about articles and experiments. But the thing is that a modern man of rationality, even though he has not experimented that, he would still, you know, he will read that message and he'll scoff up like, <laughs> What is this? Why? Why is it that he already knows that this is, there's no way this is going to work? And I would like to add in that oh. sometimes there are things that do actually work, you know, some crazy DIY trick. And you, at first, you're like, there's no way this works. And it ends up working. Okay, fine, fine, fine. All right. You want to go there? Fine. So we're talking about knowledge, right? Epistemology, we're talking about knowledge. How do we know those things, right? Uh, I like to think of it as a chemist. Now, okay. uh, in chemistry class, you learn about all these elements. Uh, if you react uh, hydrogen with oxygen, uh, you know, you ignite, you know, it'll produce water. Uh, you, you know exactly what will happen if what reacts with what. You react iron with uh, oxygen, you get iron oxide, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is it possible to react oxygen and iron and you get 
uh, gold. Uh, under normal lab, no. Why do we say that? Because we know the, the reaction properties. We know how oxygen reacts with uh, every other element. Uh, okay. We know how iron reacts with uh, you know, every other element. We know the characteristics. And based on that characteristics, we can predict. And that's the strength of science, right? Science depends on the foundations of knowledge, on these building blocks of knowledge. First, you have the, first you have the, uh, you know, like the elements. What are the elements? What are the properties? What is considered as an element? It's considered as element because, you know, it doesn't, you know, that's the fun. It, it can't react with anything else. It's consistent. Okay, what's an atom? All right, that's that's how, how an atom looks like, and it's consistent with the models, all that stuff. Uh, and then if you test, it is consistent with that. And if it's wrong, you know, there's a whole new field, and then you try to, you know, like how, okay, I'm diving uh, too, uh, you know, too far away, but one interesting fact is, for example, uh, if you look at the uh, table of elements, uh, at the bottom of the table of elements, it was filled with all these signs, UUN, UUB, UU, whatever, right? It actually stands for elements that they haven't, uh, let's say, discovered yet. They haven't actually proven that these elements exist, but they know that they can exist. It's very possible. And the way to make it possible is that you take two elements of the same uh, weight. Let's say, for example, like lithium and, uh, you know, like um, helium or something, right? And you smash it together, like smash it at uh, speeds close to the speed of light, boom. And then you'll get that element. And once you get that element, that element fulfills all the properties that is predicted. Uh, the reason why we know is because the periodic trouble is structured in such a way that every element within that, within the y-axis or within the x-axis, it has a predictable uh, characteristics. For example, uh, lithium has the same, uh, you know, like uh, elemental characteristics as the, you know, uh, like chlorine, fluorine, uh, whatever. I forgot. I forgot the. I think this is group seven. They all react the same way. And then it's ascending order. I think the first one is most reactive. And then as you go down, it's very reactive. Or it's the other way around. So, but my main point is, it's all very reactive. So even if at the very bottom of the list, there's all these elements that we haven't discovered, we, we, we know based on all the, all the things that we've discovered about the rest, we know how it will react. We know what is the property. We know what is the weight. We know what is, you know, like the electronic valence or something. We know the electronic arrangement. We know everything about this element, even before we can have this element. And one day, in the Large Hadron Collider, which is the, uh, which is the largest instrument that they made to smash these atoms together, they smash it, they see the properties, they got the element, and then they name it. Okay. Does the element react exactly as they expected? Yes. Hmm. No. So, so they don't really need to discover it. They already know all the properties about it, 100%. They just need to discover it to just, oh, yeah, oh, we're right, we're right. Okay. So it's like, how many, how many fingers? I know you're holding three. I know 100%. I, I, I just need to make sure, all right? Oh, you're holding three. Fine. So what uh, what happens because I mean I'm not a chemistry student, but I, I'm pretty sure 
uh, from what I remember back in secondary school that there are there, there are exceptions, right? There are exceptions all over scientific. Uh, there are exceptions all over science. So we know for sure that uh, there are exceptions that periodic table do. So let's say, you know, like you're talking about two elements that we know that how they're supposed to react, but we have never done that before. And the day we actually do that, they do not react the way they, are, they were supposed to. So what does that tell us? And like, how, I think, how does that uh, go? Does that go against your hypothesis? Right. So I think uh, science, right? Science, I think one of the methodologies is uh, you have to make it repeatable, mm -hmm. which may associate with the truth. So you, you have to re be able to reproduce the results in the same conditions, right? Um, say, for example, uh, you... Uh, you know, are you, you, you old enough for this? So you have a film camera. Okay. <laughs> Remember in the old days in the film camera? Ah, sorry, maybe you're not born yet, all right? <laughs> old days of the film camera. You take a photo and sometimes th there's all these flares, you know, like in a film, mm -hmm. in a film camera, there's all these dots, right? Mm -hmm. Does that mean the dots are there? Right? I have doesn't no mean the dots are there. <laughs> oh, are you serious? Oh my god. Okay. Okay. So, okay, maybe. <laughs> look, look, okay, I, I will give you a scenario that I know, and let's see if we can okay. get anywhere from that. Okay. So what I know yeah. is one of the biggest examples of uh, of how we cannot just go around and go about, uh, you know, um, ex expecting things to work in a certain way right like the periodic table example so like when when newton introduced the the laws right so we, we we know from those laws because they are laws like you said they're repeatable and we have seen that on small scales on every single uh, scale in, in this in this world whatever we see we know is is following those laws right so if something is moving we know it's going to keep moving until an external force or an internal body uh, you know brings it to a rest or change in direction we observe that and we observed that several hundred thousand times. You're like, oh my God, it's a law. But then Einstein comes in and he, he, he's the guy who has not seen this, who has not seen any of this. But he says, okay, the Newton law, okay. You know, as he very famously writes that the Newtonian laws are accurate and correct unless and until we're talking about the heavenly bodies. And several hundred years later, I mean, maybe half a century later, when we actually go and set up uh, the, when we increase the diameters of the Hubble telescope and, and actually observe that it's, 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 it's not working in the way it's supposed to work. So we see the planets and the, and the several other celestial bodies not following the laws of Newton, which are supposedly, you know, supposed to, uh, all, all bodies of mass are supposed to observe that. Even, you know, let's take it one step further. So Einstein hypothesized this extremely 99.99% accurate, you know, uh, almost 100% accurate kind of law, which is very famously that nothing, no mass can travel faster than the speed of light. And I think very recent discoveries, uh, very recent calculations about the, the, uh, the Big Bang and the creation of the universe suggest that the, because of the size of the universe and the rate of expansion, it does not add up. So we know that there might be a period of time at which the universe was expanding faster than the speed of light. 
and the scientists are like that is not possible because it contains mass but we are baffled we do not know so you know i might be wrong there might be more details into it yep. but that's how i understood uh, from what i read so my point being once again that uh, no matter what in science is just one field we see that in our daily life also we see that there are things that are supposed to work in a certain way and we assume okay they're supposed to work in this way but at times they do not at times there are exceptions does that mean that our knowledge about them was inherently flawed i go to a restaurant and i love going to this restaurant because it always serves the best roasted mm-hmm. chicken rice mm-hmm. every single day 365 days a year okay. and one day the chicken rice was crap Mm-hmm. Does it mean does it mean that they serve bad chicken rice or is it just an anomaly? Uh, so I think we have to differentiate between anomalies, right? We have to take that into consideration. Uh, I think all right. that's a very uh, good example. I think that's a very good example and enter epistemology. Here is exactly why epistemology exists, right? You just, you know, you, you brought it in, you know, you just fell right into my trap. You gave, <laughs> you gave a perfect example. You fell right into my trap. And here's, here's let's, let's break down, okay? Epistemology okay. works best, you know, I mean, you can by universal laws and truths, but it works best when you reduce it to statements, okay? First off, we take one statement of one instance, right? This restaurant let's go to this restaurant okay let's go get some uh, uh just i don't know give me some dish name i don't know give me give me a restaurant uh, and its dish name so i can create a, a sentence example uh curry curry at curry puff <laughs> no wait okay uh, curry puff at the curry puff house okay uh, curry puff at the curry puff house so you say you know you're like hey guys let's go to the curry puff house we are going to eat at the curry puff house why because it has the best curry puff right and okay let's let's make it more instantaneous so we you know it's easier to trace it down so you sit down at the curry puff house and they, they give you the food and you you point it point at it it's like this is the best curry puff in whole of brunei right and i take mm. a bite out of it and it's not good it may be an anomaly in the greater scheme of rotations but that curry puff in itself is not the best curry puff in 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 brunei so is your statement wrong yes you know in in all definitions of the world your statement that this curry puff is the best in brunei is wrong right so th- does that make your knowledge about that wrong well this instance proves that yes it makes your knowledge about because when when this is if if this is not the best in whole of brunei then immediately a second next best restaurant would become best for even that microsecond in which they had an anomaly the, the second best restaurant would become the best you follow me right so 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 your statement becomes inherently wrong so what do you think do you think that uh, statements statements that require external validation can we, we can never sh- we can never know if they if they are wrong or not let me just be jordan pearson whenever someone okay. asks him a question it depends what you mean by best okay right okay. so what what is best is best 
best for individuals or the majority or, or for example rotten tomatoes right what is a what is the best movie the best movie is the you know we can say the movie that has 100% rating on rotten tomatoes okay uh, but you have movies that are so good like for example like um, like man i mean i like man of steel uh, or, or let's say a polarizing one uh, let's say watchmen Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have a hundred percent. I think it has like seventy percent, uh, and, and it's not this seventy percent. Doesn't mean that everyone voted seventy percent. It means that seventy percent of voters voted that they liked it. So the vo- voting mechanism is so. There's so many ways to quantify what is the best. Is it the best? The the highest rating. What what is even the highest rating? Is it a hundred people I mean, say that take, it is seventy? Let's take let, let's take the quantitative Curry example want... something we can measure mm. so you say okay you know this movie so it, we're going to watch a movie right and you say guys this movie is the best movie on uh it's, it's the best movie and what you mean by it is that it has a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes so you say yeah. that okay this movie has a hundred percent but the second we start or the second you say that statement suddenly an entire batch of cinema watched it and they rated it bad, and now it's ninety nine. So, all right, does your statement is your statement still true? Uh, my statement. It depends on my statement. Um, mm-hmm. so it depends on the context of who. I mean, we're talking about. Okay. Are we talking about authority? Okay, so it depends on who gives the statement. Oscars. A lot mm-hmm. of people say the movie that wins best picture is the best movie for that year. What does the Oscars mean? The, the, does the Oscar mean that they take the entire human population? Like, hey, here's a, here's a voting ballot. Vote whoever do you think has the best movie. I, is it done that way? No, they, they are voted the best according to a list of anonymous voters. Mm-hmm. That's it. And, and these voters, uh, we, we just trust that they're credible. So is the best movie by the Oscars. It's not the best movie by me, all right? This is the best movie of the year by the Oscars, which translates to this is the best movie of the year according to these list of anonymous critics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is it random people or is it like a committee? uh, It's a committee. It's a committee. Oh, and you don't know. Plato would be so happy. He, 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 he wanted the social system that he basically he wanted a shooter. You know. That, that is the Platonian idea of democracy, you know? Like he, he's like, oh, but, a group of elites should do that, but let's not get there. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, you, you can buy your way into it. I, I don't know which philosophy this satisfies, <laughs> but uh, you, you know about the... <laughs> yeah, you with money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But okay, I, I, I get your inherent outlook, right? But okay, let's try and see let's try and break it down and see if, if, if it still relates back to these examples. So we discussed a wide array of examples, real life examples, and they, they were still, they were not bullying in like, yes or no, you know, the, the, the central question being that if something change or if something does not change, does it, does it change your, does it change the fact that your statement was true or not? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, actually, I like your uh, physics example. Okay. I love I love physicists. You know why I love physicists? Because they have 
the like most down to earth, right? For example, right? If 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 I have have a phone right here, if I have my phone right, or, or this you know aircon remote, if I drop it, I know exactly at what time the bottom touches the ground. That is, it's unbelievably accurate. Uh, mm -hmm. Assuming that air resistance is like yeah, yeah, yeah. this constant value in a vacuum, definitely. So it's, it's, it's like the, the the precision of physicists is astounding. Mm -hmm. Here's here, you know, we hear about flat earthers, right? I had this imagination in my mind. Can flat earthers launch a rocket to the moon? Can flat earthers launch a rocket to the moon? And my, my assumption, my belief is that they can't. The reason is because they can't identify what is the truth. They, 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 they ignore... Like more specifically, like how do, like more specifically how, their calculations will not be accurate. Their calculations will not be accurate. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you, you can easily, like you can easily know the earth is round. Okay, number one, you can see it, right? Uh, number two, you know, like I think, this is also one of Newton's laws. Any, uh, any body of mass has a gravity. Even us, we have gravity. Uh, if the mass is so big, it has more gravity. Mm. And, and because of that, we're, we're pulled by the earth. And if, if the earth is flat, it, it's impossible to you know, uh, generate gravity. Like As we go through the edges, we'll be squeezed out. I, there's, a, there's a Vsauce video on this. I know you like Vsauce. Yeah. But the, the, the calculation would not match up. So the calculations see, okay. translates to, you know, you, you, truth. See, you mentioned the 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 video by Michael, uh, by Vsauce, right? Stevens. And 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 I want to say that th there are some really really interesting outlooks that he has taken there because he does not only just you know this. He also talks about the possibilities. I mean, he talks about the flat disk uh, accelerating in nine point eight meter per second, right? He's like, okay, what if it's a flat disk but it's just accelerating? So you also, and, and this is why I want to discuss epistemology in the first place, because uh, the idea being, and I'm just going to leave this idea, but uh, I, I would love to come back to it after we actually discuss the basis of epistemology. So maybe we can have a more clear outlook on why we need epistemology in the first place. So the, the, the idea is that uh, we, we have a certain calculation, and I think this has its roots in the fact that we knew that the earth is round or at least spherical, at least it has a bent even before we actually went out and saw it, right? And this is not, I'm talking like not NASA, as like, you know, travelers who traveled across the world, you know, in, in times when ships were a thing, or even before that, you know, we have the accounts of people like Ibn Battuta and people, be, you know, even before that, like just, just nomads by today's standards, mm. right? Something like that. But they, 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 and I think even somebody in Greek, I'm not sure if it was somebody Archimedes or I, I don't know, somebody in Greek also, Greece area, he also calculated it with 93 to 96% accuracy. So the idea is that uh, there, the, the, that is one way and it's a very easy way to say, you know, everybody's like, just ship all the earth, uh, flat earthers in the rocket and show them it, that it's round or something. That is a very basic idea and we will come to that also. But uh, but even before that, the way we knew that Earth is round or it has a bend was because of some calculations, right? So when they would send conveys, they'd be like, okay, you go from there to there. This is the speed at which the boat is traveling, right? And this much, this is how much days it should take. But it takes more than that. And 
uh, one of the biggest contributing factors was that if it's actually just between two continents, then they do not have to change the direction of the ship, but they actually had to change the direction of the ship because it's, you know, round. So they have to adjust it to, to, to fit the sphere. And maybe that's the reason why, you know, we see, we have a lot of accounts of historical uh, voyages going wrong, right? They wanted to go somewhere else and they ended up somewhere else. It's because they could not take the curvature in, in uh, regards. My point being that uh, we sometimes we see and we say, okay, yeah, you know, it, it is round. You see a round object, it's very easy to see round. Sometimes we deduce like since this and this calculation, hence it must be round. So sometimes we deduce, right? So Stevens in that video, he discusses both. He's like, okay, so because of this and this logic, because of this and this logic, Earth is round. But actually, if we consider these, you know, ridiculous hypothetical situations, that the Earth is a flat disk and the poles are freezing and, you know, uh, something about the, the gravity not being, uh, you know, uh, radial as we think of it, you know, gravity is radial. It, it, it starts from a center point. It has a center of gravity and it expands out. But what if it's just several hundred uh, points all across the flat disk that all emit gravity at the same magnitude? So basically he discusses that it is possible that there are alternative uh, alternative deductions that that deduce that earth is flat so first off what, what is your outlook on that what if in flat earther could provide you and they do if you have plenty of free time you should go uh, youtube flat earthers explanations and they are so convincing sometimes you know they are so convincing sometimes then they you know so my, my idea is that what if somebody gives you every single possible explanation even I think they have an explanation of why the earth appears round. They have an explanation for that, why the earth appears yeah. round. So my idea is that what if they, they are able to give you some calculations that deduce that earth is actually flat? Will you be convinced? If not, then what is, what is the primary uh, way? What is the primary idea that convinces you? How do you know what is a fact and what is not a fact? What is your outlook on this? All right. All right. So I, I think actually flat earthers, if you have convincing evidence, let me know. I, I will be really happy. You know what makes scientists happy? Scientists happy if you tell them something that, you know, contributes to the field. You know, okay. flat earthers, if you tell me that, you know, you discovered the world is fat with all your evidence, you know, I'll be happy. But if it checks out, you know, the nature about physics is that everything checks out. The nature of physics is simply if you go to a physics class, or even if you go to a mathematics class, uh, there, there's a set of rules that you have to follow, right? Mm -hmm. And the questions and the exams are always like this. This is the information that you have, you know, like uh, Ali uh, has a rocket and then he's going to throw the rocket at, you know, 900 meter per second or something, right? At what point does it reach there? You know, and, and you do all these calculations and you can do it in real life and it matches out. So everything in physics, all the equations, you, you match each other out, then, you know, the, the more it matches out, the more it's like true, right? I would like to see a flat earther uh, check out all the equations because what I noticed about flat earth, they're very, <laughs> they're very scientific. 
in a way that actually they do a lot of experience. I'm amazed. I was watching all these documentaries and they're like, yeah, well, it's just fear. And we did all these tests and you're like, yeah, it's like, I'm amazed by how scientific they are, but it's like the science don't match. And in fact, even in the flat earth community, there's different facets. You know, some people believe that the earth is a disc, uh, you know, like, and the edges are ice. Uh, some people believe that the earth is like some sort of square. Some people believe that the, uh, the sun is round and the earth is flat. Some believe that the earth is flat and the sun is just above. You know, so many different things. Even in the flat earth community, they don't cross out each other. And then I was watching the, this documentary as well. And then it's so full of, it's so full of conspiracy. The flat earthers themselves are conspiracy theorists. And they assume that, you know, like they, whoever they is, are trying to take us over, right? And the leader of the flat earth at the beginning, Ancient they were leaders. celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then in the end, there's this, there's this, you know, like distrust among each other. Like the, the lady suddenly got called like, no, you are uh, honey potting all the guys to go here. And suddenly they're all like mistrusting each other. Why is that? Is it because it doesn't match? Is it because they're only following their emotions? I don't know. Okay, so and then uh, at the end, at the, I'm gonna spoil. I'm gonna spoil this documentary by Netflix. <laughs> I'm not sure oh, if you've seen this. Yeah, I don't. I'm, <laughs> you think I go around watching platters? <laughs> the at the end of this documentary is this: these flat earthers want to prove that the world, uh, the Earth is flat. So they go around this like field, right, and they have three points. So this is a straight field, right? They have three points. One, two, three. And in these, there's a pillar with a really narrow slit in each, same direction. Pillar, narrow slit, pillar, narrow slit, pillar, narrow slit. On one hand here, you have a really strong laser that shoots straight. On the other hand is the receiver to make sure that you receive, right? If the world is flat, if the earth is flat, the laser will go, no problem, right? And then the documentary ends up with this guy at the other end, seeing here, and they, they already build it up. They already say that, I think the world is, you know, a flat, and then um, uh, I think, I think we're, we're going to see the light bulb, right? And then the documentary ends with, oh, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> and then credits. Damn. Right? I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's, you know, at least they're, they're actually doing some scientific uh, experiments that, that's good on them. But see, here's the thing. You mentioned a point that what if these things, uh, one of the problems is that these things are not consistent, right? And I want to differentiate uh, between uh, experiment and reduction that, you know, I, I want to make this distinction that experiment is something different and deduction is something different. So for the sake of deduction, let's say that just because you think that you find inconsistencies in ideas, does that make, uh, does that make the claim bogus? So like, you know, you're like, okay, you know, they are doing these calculations, but some of the calculations don't add up. Hence, I deduce that their idea is wrong. But if that is hmm. the case, then our ideas about the Big Bang and the creation of the universe, and even to this day, 
several calculations about the about simple calculations about the solar system about the about the uh, radius of different planets and different bodies sometimes they just don't add up so what do you say like if i just simplified what do you say that do you believe do you believe in the big bang or do you mm. believe that you know big bang happened and hence universe uh believe believe right because you know uh I mean, we have been uh, it's all about faith right i mean we have been taught so maybe belief yep. is yeah it's, it's it's a different term but let's say are you convinced this i'm convinced know, yeah that's the right word that's the right word yeah. i'm convinced i'm convinced there are all these facts you know they teach you in school and yep. stuff so are you convinced that there, there was a big bang yeah i'm convinced i'm convinced so then when, when i present this document to you that uh, that some part of the big bang doesn't add up and there, there's no one evidence there's a thousand different things we do yeah. not know that what was the cause of the big bang we do not know what was the cause of the imbalance in the big bang because there was an imbalance hence collision we do not know why the big so you know okay they say that yeah. you know it's expanding the universe is expanding it's it's a big part of the big bang itself that it's expanding but then you know like I, like i discussed earlier that uh, there are certain it just doesn't add up the size of the universe observable universe or the the speed at which it's supposed to ex, ex, is expand and the time you know how old it is i think 13 point some billion years so it doesn't add up so we know that there there must be a time in which it might it might have uh, expanded faster than the speed of light which we know is not possible so you know if if all i'm saying is that if there are inconsistencies in the big bang theory do you think that is enough for you to to exclude yourself from being convinced that it is true yep if there's enough inconsistencies so what happens here is that you you prove a very interesting point in fact physicists know at which point do their equations fall out for example right uh, e is equal to mc square the you know the the einstein's favorite and most famous equation and all these other equations they all add up they all add up mm-hmm. uh, where it all doesn't add up is uh, they in the topic for example like dark matter they, they still mm-hmm. don't know what what it is uh, and uh, antimatter you know we 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 are matter but there's antimatter if matter mixes with antimatter there's a huge explosion right uh, uh, why is it that there's more matter that we don't know the answer yet and sometimes it's like we, we know all the fundamental forces uh, or, or, or basically we know what the equations are we know the game so that we're playing but sometimes there's a hole at the bottom there that we don't know what it is uh, and we don't know how it affects i think it all comes down to this usefulness usefulness if i'm a scientist if i'm a scientist and i'm like okay my mission is to get these people to go to the moon mm-hmm. what would i use okay do i do i use the you know gravitational uh, theory uh, you know uh, doing okay the earth g force is 9.81 meter per second squared okay do do i use that okay useful i'll use that uh, f is equal to ma i'll use that okay uh, whatever whatever it is whatever i've used it has worked it has worked for years so it's worked it's been proven that means that i know that it's 
Maybe it's not true. I don't know, but it works. So it must be true. I, I right? know where you're coming from. I understand where you're coming from, but that is an idea that philosophers would reject with rather passion because you see, this is where philosophy and science sort of parted ways because science uh, sort of inclined towards uh, technological advancement and philosophy sort of inclined towards more about virtue and truth. So for them, truth is inherently truth. It's uh, for, I think that the, the terminology would be that for science, truth is coherently truth. If it makes sense, if it gets the job done, it's truth. They don't care mm. about anything else. For philosophy, truth is not coherently truth. It's inherently truth. It has to be an absolute truth in itself. Even if, you know, if it, if it, you know, gets you to the moon, but it's not true, they don't care. You follow me, right? So something, because obviously in, in, in science does not care about virtue. Philosophy cares about virtue. And, uh, the, you know, that is the area where philosophy and religion kind of merge. So these are things that you may or may not actually ever be able to scientifically even talk about, but we have to discuss the inherent virtueness of them. So for example, uh, yeah. uh, uh, I'm going to take I'm going to take a very random example, and I do not want to get into the side details of it because you know once again it steps into morality, a topic that we have been avoiding for so long. Okay. But I believe this 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 episode will pave path for morality. The 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 point being, uh, there's some certain guy, and you know he has done something bad, and you know he has he's he's a bane on the society. There are two two things, right? Get Killing him, you know, killing him on sight is, it, it gets the work done. It saves society from the bane, right? Mm. Uh, we're not getting into the discussion if it is or not morally wrong, but philosophy adds an extra layer in that says, even if it gets the work done, even if it saves society from the bane, there is still an extra layer of, is it moral or not? Reminds me of a beautiful work about, you know, uh, um, he he uh, pronounced his name so bad he's Russian yeah. uh, he, he wrote this really nice really fantastic piece of art called Crime and Punishment and he talks about uh, a, a person who, who comes from who comes from really underprivileged area and he has spent a fortune on his education and he's not getting any you know he's not doing he's in a bad crisis in his life and uh, he's in a position where he needs financial support and his family is relying on him and you know he's in this really different and difficult state of trauma and problems and then he chooses to commit a crime and murder somebody and and uh, take something from them you know some money or something i think he, he sells it to some old lady and then he kills the old lady so now there are a thousand different arguments. He, he gives birth to the morality problem as in, you know, uh, is it wrong to kill that woman? The, or what, what else, what other op option did he have? And for him, it got the work done. He got the money, right? But morally, that is questionable. So I'm not going to get into what is morality and what is questionable. But the idea being, that philosophy and science, uh, they part ways right here at this point, which is called the, the, the debate of virtue, right? So for science, getting things done is, is, is the top priority, you know, 
we have been uh, killing animals and rats and whatnot to get the work done. How do we done. kill more efficiently? Sorry? How do we kill more efficiently? If there's capital <laughs> punishment, how do we murder people easily? War, yeah, you know, war and like more Einstein efficient. said, like Einstein said, no rat would ever create a rat poison, but humanity created bombs, you know? So we, we, science and technology has been focused on getting the work done, very less concerned about virtue and morality, but philosophy does not. So philosophy needs to know if something is morally and virtually correct, and then it works on that. So in that idea, what I mean is that for philosophy, a truth should be absolute truth. It, it just does not need to add up. It needs to be actually true, right? So this is where I actually want to bring in the epistemological illustration of how epistemology works, right? You, you seem really outthrown. Well, uh, true? Okay, what do you mean? Okay, give me an absolute truth. Yeah, yeah, What's yeah. An absolute okay, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss this just uh, by the illustration, right? So let's talk about epistemology, right? And that will diverge into the concepts of why and where relative truth ends and where absolute truth starts. So let's right, see. Right. So in epistemology, like I said earlier, we take instances of conversations, right? It's easier to work with. So we have a statement, for example, um, let's say a statement. Um, Nabil is wearing a, is that a brown, maroonish, brown shirt, right? So th th that is a fact, you know, that is a fact. And let's not get into how we can prove it, but that's a fact. Now, uh, epistemology essentially deals with several different categories of knowledge, you know, namely know that, know how, know what, know when, know where. So these are distinctions epistemology makes to, to, to deal with each, each of them in more detail. But simple, the, simple. The, the kind of, uh, <laughs> I feel like you were expecting way more complex terminologies and then it's just like that when <laughs> Don't worry, it's going to get complicated. <laughs> that's, why right, bring it such, down. that's why I took such a broad outlook on it first. So, you know, when we actually throw in the terms, it makes more sense that we can relate it to real world. So the, the, the field, the sub-subject that we are concerned with, at least right now, is know that. So which mainly refers to the knowledge of facts. So I know that Nobel is wearing a brown shirt right now. Let's simplify it. I know that I am wearing a blue shirt, you know, right now. So epistemology in, in the efforts of trying to, trying to build a solid foundation of what is knowledge and how do we perceive knowledge, it breaks down knowledge into four categories, right? So, so one is knowledge itself, but let's see what knowledge is made up of uh, in, in terms of epistemology. So knowledge says, and this is called the theory of knowledge, right? So what is knowledge made up of? The first thing is claim. So I made a claim. And these are obviously my terminologies, you know, they use rather complicated terminologies. I'm trying to get, get it more simplified. I made a claim that, oh, Nabil is wearing a brown shirt right now. This is a claim, right? So in, 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 in epistemology, they call it either an, assertion or a preposition that I imply a fact. I imply the yep. knowledge of a fact. I yep, imply yep, yep. that I know 
that yep. Abel is wearing a brown shirt. So that's the mm. preposition part. But the equation that I like to create is knowledge is equal to claim plus belief. So my belief is that yes, Nabil is wearing a brown shirt. Now you'll be like, why is belief important here? So <clears throat> belief is important here. And, uh, and I'm just you know trying to define the terms as broadly as possible. So it's yep. easier for us to follow. Belief is important here because of what we call a prepositional attitude in epistemology. So if okay. I am not myself convinced, if I'm like, I, Nabil is wearing maybe a brown shirt. So I'm, I do not believe it on myself. So it's very difficult to get a fact out of uh, ambiguous or dubious statement. That is why belief or a confident attitude is very important. That the, the person who is making that claim actually believes that that claim is true. And hence he's making that claim. You know, If I don't believe you're wearing a brown shirt, if I think you're using some kind of filter and you're turning the green shirt into brown, then I will not make the claim that you're wearing a brown shirt, right? So You have to believe what you're saying. You have to believe in what you're saying for it to be a fact. So we get that part done. But here's the part where it gets interesting. For it to be actually true, which means to be for it to be knowledge, right? Because we're saying knowledge is equal to claim plus belief plus justification. So one way or another, I need to be able to justify my claim and my belief. And for this instance, I can justify that I am seeing you through the webcam right now on my screen. So I can see that you're wearing a brown shirt. So I can you know, justify my, my belief and my claim. So basically in epistemology, the definition of knowledge is justified true belief. Three components that make up knowledge. This is why I asked you earlier, would you, would you still believe uh, or will you still be convinced if you do not have all the facts, if it's not, you know, because that's the attitude of science sometimes. They do not believe in anything. They're just like, this is the facts. Do whatever you want to do with it. <laughs> so, well, Salman, what are you smoking, bro? <laughs> my, shirt, my shirt is dark, uh, dark gray. All right. Oh, it's okay. only dark brown because you see it through this camera, which I suppose picks up the infrared that you can't see. Uh, you know, like, okay. and, and, you say, and you say that's the truth. I no, use science. Yeah, yeah. I so use science. It, then this is not knowledge, right? Like, somehow it just happened to be this case. But then, so, so this is not at, a at the beginning, you'll be like, that's, that's knowledge. And I'm like, no, no you're no, wrong. No. That's that ain't mm -hmm. knowledge. Mm -hmm. So because it's missing one component, What's it, has the component? Claim, it has the claim, okay. it has belief, but yeah. it does not have justification of that belief. You had a justification just now. Your justification but it's was... But that justification is errored, right? It's corrupted. Ah, I'm so seeing through error. a filter. Why uh -huh. oh, is it errored now? You were so confident that it was the knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, that's the problem. We don't, that's exactly why we don't know if our knowledge is actually knowledge. Because what if we are seeing the world through this filter? All right. So what if you're the anomaly? What if you're the only one with the anomaly? So truth is what is consistent. For me, in the, for a, you know, higher, for a purpose of you know, knowing more, knowledge is something that is consistent. Uh, okay. It doesn't matter if it's useful or not. It's consistent. 
are, are you the only one with an anomaly that sees it as a brown uh, shirt? You know. Okay, so, <clears throat> for example, what if what if something is not consistent for anyone? So we see the world in I think one eighty degree or and 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 in a certain color range and a certain a certain degree of a point of view. Different animals, literally all creatures, see it slightly different color scheme, slightly different angle of perception. So how do we know which is which is the real world? Are we? Oh, seeing... we, can, uh, we we can break it down. Of course, we're not seeing the real world. We are seeing the images that is uh, being processed in our heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, I mean, everything that we see is being filtered by our eyes and our brain. Uh, but there are some ways to counter that. For example, we know that animals see more than us because the, uh, like, for example, we see color because there are rods and cons that uh, are, we can identify, they're sensitive to the visible mm-hmm. spectrum. But in animals, their rods and cons are specified to another spectrum. So we know that for whatever reason, they see something differently than us. And maybe we can translate it by machines. We can record something with a machine. We can model it after the same rods and cons, and maybe we can mm-hmm. sort of see what see for infrared for example we know that for example i think t-rex or crocodile they see infrared we don't know but we can translate it using infrared cameras yeah, uh, so exactly but, then the question is is infrared in, invisible uh, it's invisible from our eyes for humans there, but, yeah so, so this is in, in philosophy this is called the debate of reality what is the nature of reality we know that this is how we see it and human beings that have a tendency that they want to be the center of the universe. So we say infrareds are invisible. Why? Because our eyes cannot see them. But if the eyes of alligators or crocodiles can see them, then it brings the question that in reality, is infrared invisible or not? So the sentence has to be accurate. Um, infrared is, um, I mean, <laughs> you, you can be specific, right? You can be specific. You can say uh, uh, infrared is invisible. Wait, who am I talking to? I'm talking to human beings. Of course, it's invisible. Now, suddenly, one million years has passed. Uh, you know, crocodiles like uh, have <laughs> crocodiles have evolved. Uh, apparently, the conspiracy theory of lizard man have come true, right? Slender man. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what happened, but uh, millions of years of uh, bestiality have <laughs> risen up to have crocodiles. <laughs> I don't know what happened, right? Something happened, right? So. Crocodiles come in and I'm like, I'm talking to a crocodile. And I'm like, okay, okay, crocodile. Um, infrared, you know, you can't see it. A crocodile is like, what? I'm like, oh, 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 you're a crocodile. Oh, mm-hmm. specify. Infrared is invisible to uh, human beings, all right? But then, even now, there are some human beings that can see infrared, you know, because they have these eye defects. Oh, okay. So, let, let's specify even more. Uh, Infrared is invisible to the majority of the human population. If you can see infrared, you're among the 0.000001% because that is the, you know, that is the estimate, you know, like there's one in 7 billion. So if you're, if you have it, you're one of only three people in the mm-hmm. whole world. So Once again, like, I think that is why in the beginning I was like, uh, and that's the trend I usually see. That's why I tried to create it that we human beings, uh, we try to, uh, especially in epistemology, we try to narrow down things to instances. Like I cannot see infrared. I think because of the same reason that uh, the 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 nature of reality is so complex to discuss 
that every single time you will try to discuss the question of epistemology, you will be gravitated towards the question of nature of reality. So we, we need to be more instantaneous with that. Uh, I think the, the shirt incident, I have been thinking about that. And it reminds me, uh, it, so this is, this is a sort of a common uh, thing in, in epistemology. One of the, one of the uh, criticisms to the definition of epistemology, because so far we said that the definition of epistemology is justified true belief. So I make a claim, I believe that claim is true. And that, so for it to be knowledge, it has to have a truth value, right? It has to have a truth value. And that truth value is that it's true or it's false. But if it is false, then it's not knowledge. It's not a fact, right? But if it's true, it's a fact. So one of the, one of the criticisms to this idea about uh, belief, claim, truth value, and justification was given by one of the one of the philosophers and you know we cannot talk about the nature of epistemology without talking about Edmund Gettier. So Edmund Gettier he had this idea what, what, what was later known as the Gettier case. He says okay for example you make a claim that uh, let's see I want to I want to make an example there have been so many so many um, outdated examples that I don't want to give anymore, but okay, let's go for the sake of simplicity. One example that I think uh, philosophers often give is that you, you're walking through, you're walking through you're on, on a highway and you see a farm, you know, you see a farm and you see that it has, you know, you know, like a barn, it has that exterior, but in reality, it's a film set. It, it's not really a barn. It has nothing behind it. Okay, a more modern example. You see, you, you see the matrix trilogy, uh, uh, not the trilogy, the, the fourth one. You see the trailer of that. And it's like, uh, is this Keanu Reeves real or not? Is it, <laughs> you know? So you say, okay, I think, uh, I believe this Keanu Reeves that I'm seeing right now on the screen is real. It's not the AI version, right? It's not the virtual reality version. You say that, and it just happens to be that it is true that he is the real Keanu Reeves, right? But because of your belief that the, because the idea is that you, somebody's trying to convince you that, oh, these are virtual reality ones. And you say, no, 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 these are real. So, you know, you get me because there's a new example that I'm trying to construct because I didn't want to go with the barn example that people usually use. So, you know, there, there's a lot of Keanu Reeves on the screen, right? And somebody's like, oh, these are, you know, they are created by the AI software and everything. And you're like, no, that's real. And then you pick one of them and you zoom on it and it's actually the real one. So by luck, you have locked yourself into the real one. So what is happening right now is that your claim was that these Keanu Reeves on the screen are real. And that, that is my claim. And my belief is that they are real, right? And I have a justification that I zoomed in and it turned out to be real. So now, you know, for me, the statement of my belief that these Keanu Reeves on the screen are real turns out to be true. 
but in reality i just lucked you know that the only one of them was true similar to i think like what happened with uh, let's say New- newton you know he talked about uh, uh, the 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 laws of nature and how uh, the the forces work and it, it just happens to be that they always the all the time they they work but there are exceptions like the heavenly bodies there are exceptions right but what if you pick one heavenly body that just happens to be and i'm giving an exa- extrapolated example just happens to follow the laws would that make the universal law of einstein wrong so, so i i think it's it's a it's a difficult Again, to follow example i think okay for example right if you talk about the physics example um you talk about if if one instance of it being false does it mean the entire thing is false uh it, it depends is it repeatable can you repeat that anomaly uh, or, or is it just anomaly uh, in fact i think in 2014 or 2012 they actually did a study uh of the i think they blasted a bunch of neutrinos or these particles and what they noticed is that these particles arrive at the destination faster than speed of light and the entire physics physics community went crazy i'm like oh my god einstein's theory was wrong oh my god this can change everything oh my god everyone's panicking We're like oh all right right like could, could this be true and they repeat the, the experiment it never happened again and they did an investigation and apparently it's a calibration error okay meaning that the theory is still true but in that instance when you know it was you know like people were panicking people were panicking because there's one of two possibilities number one is that einstein was wrong number two was that you know there's an error but there's this huge possibility that einstein was wrong So how do you counter that? You do the experiment again. You repeat it. Can you repeat the experiment? Again, it comes down to consistency. What if the thing that you're experiencing as truth is an anomaly? And the only way to do that is to repeat that thing as many times as possible. I think if you have a high sample rate, yeah, have just have a high sample rate. That will fix the issue. Why not we why are we going further? Why not just have have a high sample rate? Isn't mm-hmm. at enough to justify the truth what do you think see, about that see here's the thing this is why i tried to make a distinction in the very beginning philosophy does not care about scientific uh, experiments right so, <laughs> and the reason i am saying this is because we are talking about maybe maybe we can talk about virtues that are impossible to actually uh, take a scientific experiment right so like maybe religion or belief or superstition so for example somebody believes that okay this is the example that edmund getier gives himself you know this is the example the guy who creates this getier case gives and it's a weird example i don't like it that's why i didn't want to give it but let's let's give it a chance he says there are two people they go for the interview say salman and nabil you know we we, we both go for an interview and I have ten coins in my pocket. You have ten coins in your pocket. It just happens to be that we both have the same amount of coins in our pocket. Now, 
when we when we are doing the interview we we both do our interview we come out and then you go meet the ceo of the company right and the ceo you ask you know in in a hinting language so who's going to get the job what do you think you know you, you ask him and he says that uh, i think salman will get the job you know not i think he says salman will get the job right so later we we are sitting down and i take my wallet out and you you, you happen to see that i have 10 coins okay you happen to see that i have 10 coins now based on the knowledge that you have you can make a claim that the person who has 10 coins in his pocket will get the job okay <laughs> okay okay what, okay that's what they use right that's what they use that, that's why i don't want to use this example it's like no correlation what is coins have to do with job but <laughs> but this is the but this is the claim that you come up with now the thing is that you have a preposition you have a claim right and you form a, <laughs> go on okay yeah okay 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 and, and you and you form a belief on that, that the person who okay. has 10 coins in the pocket will get the job right okay okay and then the thing is that you you have a solid justification for that that Uh, reason that why do you think that the person who will get the job has 10 coins because i saw 10 coins in the pocket the ceo told this person will get the uh, job this person has 10 coins in the pocket makes sense but here's where he complicates it way beyond the i don't like this example but here's where he complicates it it just happens that the last at the last moment the company decides to change their uh, change you know their decision and instead of me they give you the job okay and you're like wow and you know you're so happy and you you, you want to get a starbucks and you take out your wallet and it just happens to be that you have 10 coins in your pocket so the person who gets the job has 10 coins in his pocket it has you know he he has a good justification for his belief see the point being i think you know because you are too rational for uh, abstract philosophy you always gravitate back towards experiments and i respect that but the the idea here is that the philosophical idea of epistemology is justified true belief so you have a belief and you know it's not supposed to be justified true belief it's supposed to be a justified belief which is true but just because of how english language works we say justified true belief so basically you have a belief that is justified and that happens to be true in one instance so you have a belief that the person who has 10 coins in his pocket will get the job how is it justified cause you you saw the person ceo saying that this person will get the job you checked that this person has 10 coins it's a justified belief and it just happens to be true so you know it's it's still not a fact the person who has 10 coins has nothing to do with the person who gets the job it's still not a fact so so this is where where getier tries to uh tries to combat and argue that facts and knowledge are not based on belief or justified belief but the truth value has nothing to do 
with either belief or or justification of belief but uh, once again the justification of belief remains a core component in trying to trying to find the truth value i actually do like your argument that just repeat it just try to see once again ask other people if they got the job and they had 10 coins i actually do like that argument it's just that maybe we're not uh, it, it's just that once again if it's a law it has to work every single time i think that's how i see it yeah i think <laughs> when you mentioned that uh, uh, there's this joke uh, by uh, norman mcdonald i don't know if you know him he's a comedian the joke is like this is is a bit lengthy but let me tell you this joke one day okay so me right imagine one day i i'm walking into a new neighborhood and uh, and uh, one day you know i go to the cafe and uh, i i see this guy in the cafe you know he 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 you know i've never seen him i want to make new friends and i go to him and i ask hey you know my my name is nabil what's your name Uh, my name is uh, my name is let's see Shahu. My name is Shahu. All right, <laughs> and then uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, Shahu. Oh, what what do you work as? And then Shahu's like, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a professor of logic. Okay. Like what professor of logic? Well, what professor of logic? What is that? And he's like Shahu's like, okay, let me give you a demonstration. Uh, uh, do you do you have a dog? Uh, uh I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I have I have a dog. I have a dog. Yeah, and he's like. Uh, if you have a dog, that means you have a dog house. I'm like, oh yeah, I have a, I have a dog house. And then he's like, oh, if you have a dog house, then that means that you have kids because you know, like uh, kids play around dog houses. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I you know, uh, I, I have, I have kids. That's true. And he's like, oh, if you have kids, then uh, you must have a wife. And I'm like, oh yeah, 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 that's true. I have a wife. Uh, and then he said. If you have a wife, that means that you're a straight man. And I'm like, oh yeah, that, that that's true, that's true. And then he's like, oh yeah, that that's what I do. Yeah, that that's that's logic right there. I'm a professor of logic. I'm like, oh yeah, just by having, you know, like all these assumptions, then this guy can can know whatever the hell I, I'm doing in my life. You know, can know all my properties. So Sherlock Holmes, like Sherlock Holmes. So at night. At night, I went to the bar, and um, I, I saw I saw this. Uh, I saw that my old friend. I saw my old friend. His name is Salman, and Salman is like, "Hey, Nabil, you know, like anything interesting happened today?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, you know, this this morning I saw this man. This like uh, this man of he works in the as a professor of logic." And I'm like, "What the hell is a professor of logic?" And I'm like, "Okay, let me demonstrate to you." Uh, okay, so Salman. Do you own a dog? And you're like, no. And I'm like, <laughs> so that means you're gay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I've heard that before. It's good. <laughs> But see that that is the thing, right? With logic, that it's 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 so unpredictable, and I think. Um, If I have to actually connect this to my topic, I would, I would once again, I would once again argue that. Um, now I don't want to dissect a joke. Okay, okay <laughs> I okay, don't yeah. want to dissect a joke. 
but i i do want to talk about logic in general since you have uh, talked you have you have brought this up right so the thing is that when you talk about logic and you talk about building from one thing to other and uh, and i understand that maybe that is the that is the gist that you were getting from this conversation about epistemology in general that uh, for 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 beliefs two events just have to collide right the thing is in epistemology it does not have to be a universal belief it has to be one statement and that statement has to be a fact but that fact has to be based on a belief the problem is so so if 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 and this is this is coming from logical aspect right that for me to have a belief i will act on 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 basis of that belief right and this is the belief component and this is the fact component so for a, a for something to be knowledge i need to have a belief that oh if i if i go somewhere if i let's let's take the barn example all right i'm i'm, I'm using all these examples that are not working let's use the barn example so you're driving by the highway and you see a barn but that's not an actual barn it's just fake you know it's cardboard and there are so many fake barns all over the street all over the highway right but you don't know they are fake right you don't know so you point at one barn and you say this is this is a barn okay so now you make a claim based on the belief that you are convinced that this is a barn right this is your belief and this is the truth and you know you, you it's a hidden card we don't know and when you open it it is a barn the point is that epistemology generally and the way we human beings also generally think is that if the belief is supported by the fact then the belief is true right if the belief is supported by the fact the belief is true so if i do some weird you know oh every time i don't bring my umbrella it rains simple example every time i don't bring my umbrella it rains so the belief mm. is if i don't bring my umbrella it rains but if i actually don't bring my umbrella and it actually rains it's actually a fact even though they do not have a direct correlation but they mm. both for for both of them to exist even as what you would call coincidence that would make a lot of problems for our general understanding of how logic and knowledge works that the belief is wrong but the fact is true mm mm so so maybe once again to counter your problem counter your argument about repetition the point is if it's a law if it's a rule so for in in comparison to a belief you will have to introduce a new belief right if, so for you to say that oh, every time i don't bring my umbrella it rains somebody will have to say your umbrella has you know it, no it's not true for somebody to decline mm. your belief that umbrella if i don't bring my umbrella it rains you will have to say you know no it doesn't matter right or something that uh, the the exact opposite statement would be even if you bring your umbrella it will rain right that will be the exact yeah. opposite yeah. statement but the yeah. thing is that is a belief because experiment has not been conducted yet and for mm-hmm. that belief to have a truth value of yes or no you will have to conduct an experiment mm. 
And exactly. So when you're talking about, and it just hit me actually, one of the most important points is that when you talk about experimental repetitions, you talk about something that is, well, the experiment was not done good the first time. There were anomalies and there were, you know, things that that were not accurate or calibrated properly, right? But in this case, that's not the case. It's not an apparatus fault or a human error. You're, you're just experimenting it in isolation, right? So th those things don't matter. This is why repeating it will not matter. But the thing is, so the thing is that for it to be a belief, it must be universal. So for my belief that uh, if I don't bring my umbrella, it will rain. For this to be true, it only has to rain once when I don't bring my umbrella. Do you get me? Yep, 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 yep. yep. In that sense, no, just once because a belief is something that is universal. But if, for it to be a okay, fact, it just okay. has to happen once. At least that's the okay. way I understand it. Yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. for the belief that, oh, even if you don't bring your umbrella, it will rain. It also just has to happen once. But what if it don't? What if I bring my umbrella and it doesn't rain? And what if I don't bring my umbrella and it rains? The fact is true. The fact that you didn't bring a real trained is true, but the belief is still wrong. You get me? You know what? Let's let's demonstrate it in a more. Yeah, the more is... mm -hmm. Let's do it in a more exaggerated way. You say repetition. I try it a thousand times. Every single day, I don't bring my umbrella. It rains. I don't bring it once entire week. It rains every single day of that week. I have super bad luck. But you, can, you cannot rationalize bad luck. The thing is that we know that this belief is wrong, right? Would you believe that, uh, you know what? I'll give you an example from my real life. This is true. This is, I'm not making this up. This is true. Mm. So every time I have, so I, you know, back when I used to have the old MacBook, I, I used to bring my charger with me. I used to look at my timetable and I'd be like, is it a long day? Do I need my charger? Is it a long mm. day? Yes, I bring my charger along. Sometimes I'm like, it's a short day. I leave my charger. In that exact day, either we get an extra class or you know, we, we just have to stay for some, uh, some activity after school, basically. Mm. And it has happened every single time I forgot my charger at home. Or okay. just we do some CPU intensive tasks and my battery runs out. So okay, my okay. belief has formed that the day I need to stay till five, the day I leave my charger at home, I will need to stay at five. You know, that's the belief. And even though, okay, first off, would you say that is that belief is true? If I leave my charger at home, I'll stay at five. You, I will uh, have to stay at five. Five is considered late. Right? Yeah, for example, five, like for extra example, classes. Yeah, yeah. Right? for example, like it ends at two or something and uh, five is late. So, okay, simply uh, if I leave my charger at home, I will have to stay late. If Do you, you think that belief is true? I, I don't believe it's true. I don't believe you don't, it's true. You're like, that's absurd, right? Yeah. But the thing is, if I do it, if I leave my charger at home and I get to stay late, you know, and for the sake of your argument, I do it twice, thrice, five, ten times. Every single time it happens, right? 
So would you still change your belief? You'll be like, no, it's still absurd. Your argument would be, that's a coincidence. That's a massive coincidence, right? But that's, okay. that's the question. Why? If you say that you're a man of logic and experiments can change your belief, do you, do you get the core of the idea? Right? I, 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 that I, 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 some I, I, ideas we reject as ridiculous there and then. Why is that? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to reject it, right? I'll, I'll be like, at the beginning, let, okay, let me be hyper-specific, okay? Okay. Um, Salman, uh, the probability that your belief mm-hmm. is true, I believe is unlikely. Okay. Unlikely. The probability is very low. Right, mm-hmm. probability that every time you bring you do you, every time you leave your charger, there'll be an extra class that you'll be in bad luck. The probability of that happening is extremely low. Okay. Right, I suggest do you know more even more samples. Do it with an entire year. Do it with an entire year. If it's still consistent, if you consistently. Uh, you know, like every time you leave your charger at home, there'll be an extra class. And amazingly for the entire year, like the, the teacher is like, you know, there'll be an extra class. Either two things, two possibilities. Number one is that you are included in this super small probability. You have bad freaking luck that you're like, oh, <laughs> you're like, or okay. there has to be an underlying cause. Okay. There has to be an underlying, maybe, you know, uh, okay, another scenario, I have to, now I have to put in other scenarios, like, okay, but that scenario is so low, there has to be something going on. Maybe your teacher stalks you. Maybe <laughs> your, maybe your teacher's like, every morning, I, I, I have binoculars, I zoom at Salman's apartment, and every time he leaves the charger, I really hate him, and I really make, want to make sure he suffers, all right? He's not bringing his charger. Oh, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Which probability is higher? I, I, I don't know. But at the moment, I'm like, Salman, I don't know. But here are, here are all the possibilities. Which no, one is true? Let me ask you something. Okay. Let me ask you something. Why is it that you need an underlying cause? Why can't it be a direct correlation? Why do you need an underlying cause? Why do I need? And like, for example, right? What if your teacher hates you? You mean that underlying cause? Yeah, no. Why do you need that cause? Why can't it just be that there is a relationship? It, it just happens, you know? Like, like, why do you need a scientific or some kind of explanation for it to happen? Oh, because, because then it opens the layer of uh, possibilities, right? If, 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 if you doing that, what is that? Is, it, is that black magic? Is it, you know, what, what is that? What, what, yeah, what is the mechanics that cause, I mean, that, I mean, I find that very interesting. What is the mechanics that allow you to, you know, do that? Mm-hmm. And the same is pure, I mean, fine. One of the mechanics is pure coincidence. I accept that, right? Another mechanic is your teacher is stalking you and your teacher secretly hates you. I, I accept that mechanic. Another mechanic is there's black magic. Black magic exists. And you know, like it, it, it happens once in a while. Some, your, one student from your class is so jealous of your grades. And at the corner, he's like, like while you're studying on your MacBook, that student's like, oh, you're on your, on your, me, on your. I'm like, okay, that's so interesting, right? What, what's the mechanics? 
And if it can happen to you, can it happen to anyone else? Okay. I love this argument. I love this argument. You know, it reminds me, Aristotle in his very famous work on metaphysics, the very first line he writes, you know, Aristotle, he writes, all men by desire, all men by, by nature desire knowledge. Right? So something yep. about that, we cannot just accept things to happen. Like, yeah, it happened. No, we need a reason. Like, why does this happen? So something that, something about that, that we, we need a, a reason for everything to happen is really what, what makes uh, it interesting. But once again, science has made it very obvious, you know, and, you know, I, I can see how, how uh, dominant science is that you need experimentation and repetition and average and everything, you know, like for it to be an actual correlation between these two, right? But the thing is, uh, this is where what we call the knowledge debate gives birth, right? So there are two schools of thoughts on this idea, right? Which you presented, that's the idea of empiricism. So empiricism is the school that we need to understand or the only way we can understand things is by sensory input, right? So you're like, there has to be a reason, right? So something, something has to relate and something, something has to work and things like that. There has to be an empirical reason for things to actually work, right? So for example, let's take an example of gravity. So we are like, Newton is like, oh, everything is going down. Why? There has to be a reason. It's like, you know, we, we just accept it. Like, yeah, everything is going down. But Newton was like, why is it going down? Why does it not go up? Why does it not stay? So then he found out reasons like, okay, there is a force, it attracts and it goes down, right? So mm -hmm. we need a reason and, and, there, and, and there's a difference. The other school is called rationalism. So rationalism is basically what I discussed earlier, deduction, that if this, then that, right? Rationalism mm -hmm. does not need a concrete reason in the language of science. It can mm -hmm. work with deduction. So mathematics is a huge example of the of logic and rationality, right? So for two plus two be equal to four, you cannot empirically prove it. You just cannot. You know, for me, you know, you can be like, look, two pencils. I add two more. It's four, <laughs> but that's still a demonstration, right? And I have to accept that this is one, this is two, and this is three, and this is four. What if I say I don't accept that? So the idea being the rational school deduces everything based on deductions. And these are obviously oversimplifications of how the schools work. But the empirical reason is like, everything is an extension of our senses. So the five senses we have, and we see science uh, specifically following in this footstep. So everything, you know, microscope is an extension of our eyes. Telescope is an extension of our eyes. All these auditory devices, all these screens, microphones, everything, it's an extension of our senses. And that's how we have been working for so long. But coming back to, to, to my idea uh, about what is, what, what, what is the, the, the correlation between belief and, uh, and you know, this is a field that, that will really, really be interesting in metaphysical and religious ideologies, you know, the doctrine itself, that what if I believe in something and it is a fact, but you cannot find any either empirical or at best rational reasoning. Would you still accept it as fact? 
or would you not accept it as fact? You cannot find any correlation between them scientifically. Let's just stick to scientifically. Would you still accept it as a fact or would you be like, no, I will not accept it? Let's take a step back. What is a fact? A, a, a fact, is it? Okay, you're a computer uh, specialist or a student, right? A fact is, is it like, uh, if, if this is true, this happens. So, uh, Jack, uh, Jack, uh, is uh, Jack will eat a burger. Okay. Jack puts burger in his mouth. Conditions for eating a burger is true. Jack is eating a burger. That is true. I, I, is that a fact? A fact is basically something depends that happens. On, depends on which school you are referring to. So like I said, for oh, okay, empirical okay. school, for empiricals, for empiricism, uh, it has to have a scientific reasoning, which is basically an extension of our reasoning. So for empirical schools, Jack is eating a burger must be uh, Jack. Okay, let's take one example. Jack ate a burger. How, how, we prove, how do we prove this is a fact? I saw Jack eating a burger, you know? Mm. So an extension of my sense proved it. So like, you know, like you refer to testimony being. So one way to prove facts is an extension of our senses. The other mm. is rationalism. So there was a burger in front of Jack. It's not there anymore. <laughs> and, you know, there was a burger in front of Jack. He, he picked it up. He took a bite out of it. He chewed it. So these are all different facts. And regardless of the scientific reasonings, we, we, we will say that he ate it. Do you get me? Like it's, it's a different approach to prove fact. Okay, I'm assuming that there is an alternative method to prove fact than scientifically. Yeah. Right? There's an alternative to science. Okay, yeah, yeah. now, this, this boggles me. This boggles me. Because okay, I, this I, is new. Okay. I think things very scientifically. Hmm. So, so you're saying there is a non-scientific way to prove that things are true? Okay, how do you define scientific? Scientific, oh, okay, let's, let's look at the scientific method, right? You, uh, you, know, you, you see things and you can repeat it and it produces the same result. Uh, uh, okay, scientific method is like, okay, is... you have a hypothesis, you can prove it, right? Or, 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 or scientific is you can repeat it and it consistently produces the same results. Hence, that is not, true. I will not agree that is, this, that is strictly speaking the definition of scientific uh, oh, right, repetition. Right. What I understand is that science means an extension of our sense once again. So if I can oh. see it, if I can hear it, if I can uh, taste it, and I can smell it, it exists. If not, it does not exist. Are, are you? Give me an example, and I'll tell you how it's an extension of our senses. Uh... I'm blind. You're, I'm deaf. You, I cannot. Uh, I, I don't have any skin. Okay. But uh, you know, like uh, someone sat me on the chair. <laughs> I don't. Even, I don't have any skin. Okay. Uh, someone sat me in the chair, and someone spins me really fast, and now I feel dizzy. Okay. I don't what? Know <laughs> what is that example? 
I asked <laughs> for an example of a scientific <laughs> phenomena. Scientific phenomena? Oh, okay. Uh, okay, Earth is flat. Or microorganisms exist. Uh, okay, so let's I think this say. is a good example. Okay, okay. How do you prove microorganisms exist? Uh, okay, you can look at it under a microscope. So it's an extension of our eye sense, sense of seeing. Mm. Uh, what about uh, what about grant? What about mass? What about mass? So here's the thing, right? Here's here where here's where the lines between the empiricism and rationality uh, differ and blur. And this is why we often criticize science that you do not have proofs for certain things and you just make assumptions. So uh, I I can demonstrate gravity, right? I can demonstrate it will be here, yep, but yep. it will go down. This is, yep. even though this is testimony through our science of sight, that gravity exists. I am seeing that object going down. This is enough for the empirical school to say that gravity exists. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Did you get me? And then, then we can say, oh, we, we set timer, we set scale, and we saw it, you know, decelerate or accelerate downwards at a certain speed. So the force of gravity is 9.8. How do you know? Because I saw it going down at that speed. Do you get me? So because, mm -hmm. because these are our main input, sensory inputs. So all these understandings are basically fed through these inputs. However, in comparison, there is rationality, which is like, okay, so this, 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 uh, galaxy is this far away and the universe is expanding at this meter per second or light years, then the universe must be this years old. One way mm. you can differentiate between science or empiricism and rationality is that science is, let's just say more confident. This exists, science. But rationality is like, if this, then this must be true. So if the object is going down, there must be a force pulling it downwards. Mm. So th this is at least how I would say philosophers differentiate between these two different understandings. So which one do you uh, incline towards when you say something is a fact? I'm having trouble wrapping my head around the definition of science, you know? Okay. What is, what, is, is it an extension of our senses? Uh, if, I, if I do calculation in maths, what sense is that? Uh, rationality. That's why I said you cannot prove. How can you prove that 2 plus 2 is equal to 4? How, how can I prove that the unknown element that mm -hmm. I haven't discovered will have the properties? I, what is that? I use I use my calculations and I know the yeah, exact no. property. What is that? But, but Isn't that science? But we do, okay, here's the thing. And now this is something people disagree on, right? 
but i think exactly why because it it crumbles or at least shakes the foundation of that science has created so we did used that atom exist we as in humans the greeks several millennia ago they did there's a very famous uh, experiment maybe it's called the air mill or something but they they did some kind of experiment that produced a pattern of air you know that proved that oh if air is traveling in this way then it must mean that air is made up of smaller particles so we deduced it rationality okay now along the line we we accepted so this is called i think the the greek theory of uh, kinetics or something kinetic that's the way where the word kinetic theory comes from i forgot what it, what's the word but uh, along the line so we we use this word that atom must exist uh, you know everything must be divisible into a smaller scale must 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 along the line somewhere we invented super electronic microscopes we zoomed in and we saw atom now we are like atom exists not must exist it exists so th- this is how i differentiate broadly speaking broadly speaking science does not differentiate like that they think that logic and math is also in the same category but if we actually th- look at from the lens of philosophy it is not the case so a lot of our experiments like the famous archimedean uh, experiment about how things float it's all just deductions right but oh if this much mass floats with this much surface area then that means proportionally speaking this much mass with this much surface area must float so you experiment to prove that it's working but you don't know why is that working unless centuries later you discovered that oh water is made up of particles in this and that so i think that's how i differentiate between science and rationality i mean so in my mind when you explain all that all i can hear is like science all i can hear is science because you know i think knowledge is based on when we talk about knowledge right we look at the quality of the knowledge um uh, knowledge is built upon the foundations of a stronger foundation of knowledge for example uh, uh let, let's say i uh, can i take a man to the moon uh, i have to rely on the knowledge of you know mass and force you know are are these knowledge of fa- mass and force uh, reliable i've done so many tests on it uh, on on so many different conditions and so far it's been reliable and i've you know counted all the anomalies and i've calculated the weather all the stuff so far it's reliable so i i require all that reliable stuff and when we say uh like uh, when when we make the claim uh uh salman uh, ate the burger uh, or, or or the burger is gone before because uh, you know therefore salman ate it right mm-hmm. even statement alone the, the burger is gone therefore the statement ate it there's already different layers of the knowledge because the burger is gone is a greater reliability of knowledge than the other one right because the burger is gone i can see it i can prove it i can look around Mm-hmm. therefore mm-hmm. even this itself you know it, it relies on you know blah blah blah, blah, blah. It, it, you know is the sir is the burger really gone did the uh, did someone took the burger or, or or did the burger burn in thin air or 
was the burger, uh, you know, hallucination. Like I, I was doing drugs. <laughs> There's no burger. But but this this is stronger than that. And and if you build on that, it, it becomes really shaky. And as as you as you build, if something at the bottom didn't match up, the whole thing will collapse. But so far, what we've seen in science is, is that they they've built in these strong foundations that even if this one doesn't work out. There are ways to go around it that makes it even more solid. That's why, for example, like uh, uh, the black hole, we have, we have never seen a black hole, but we know the properties. Uh, we, we know how it looked like. The movie Interstellar produced uh, an image of a black hole years before we actually see an image of a black hole. How is that possible? It's because of these foundations. See, luckily, uh, luckily for you, Uh, you're not the only one who asks these ridiculous questions. Uh, philosophers have actually talked about this exact scenario. So, for example, like this is this is the work of uh, what we we later knew as the Enlightenment about questioning knowledge itself. So these are the works of David Hume and then later Emmanuel Kant, and they talk about uh, a priori knowledge and a posteriori knowledge. So. and this is very important and sometimes i'm i'm surprised by how uh the the questions that are daily you know lay men of logic asks and science and philosophers yeah. of logic come on <laughs> <laughs> but uh philosophers have tackled them very precisely sometimes it, it it's really interesting and it connects back to the fact that philosophers are actually just answering the questions that we all ask silently but do not have the courage to why south cause they are too ridiculous but yes um emmanuel kant actually does question these uh, he has a very beautiful work uh, critique of pure reason so he says pure okay. reason what you call reason he criticizes how pure reason works so if you if you sit down with kant and you say that how do you prove that jack ate that burger his question will be how do you prove there was a burger so <laughs> mm. so the thing mm. is uh, we we he divides knowledge into two categories a priori and a posteriori right so the priori is knowledge attained by let's just say external factors so how do you know there was a burger so i know what a burger looks like i have seen it on tv i've i've ordered many times i've said that oh i need a burger and i get a burger right this is priori like pre you know that knowledge be- not because of your direct first hand experience but knowledge because of uh, external sources this is priori and then there is posteriori which is knowledge based on your first hand experience how do you know this is a burger because i held it and i know that oh this is this this resembles burger but then there is the greater conversation of how do you know that this is burger so some kind of priori is always required for posteriori so that is that is something uh, for a dedicated episode on the critique of pure reason but the the gist and what what is related for us here is that uh, david hume especially, especially he argues that for knowledge uh, and this is similar to the argument you made earlier for knowledge to be uh, rationally deducible like you said you know when you're deducing that the burger is gone hence jack ate it there might actually be several different layers like okay you know there was not a burger and i was hallucinating things like that he basically says for knowledge to be uh, 
deducible or to be usable at all, first off, it must be, uh, let's just say consistent. That is the most oversimplified version. It must be consistent. And that is the argument you made earlier, right? And the thing is that in this regard, science and rationality are not too far apart. So even when you, when you talk about scientific discoveries uh, about we have not seen a black hole, but we know what a black hole looks like and we can render it uh, without actually getting a picture of the black hole. When you say all this, there is, there is an underlying assumption that all our corrections, all our calculations and all our assumptions so far are correct. So your idea of building up on logic, at least, it, it is something that is true for both uh, empiricism and for, uh, for um, rationality. In both, we build up on knowledge that is consistent and complements each other. Like, for example, I said, uh, if, if tomorrow we, we find out, like, let's simplify it in this way. Everything we know about science, we, we know through science, is a assumption. Would, would you agree on that? Or, you know, yeah, even, yeah. even uh, though when we have scientific experiments. It is um, to minimize, to maximize certainty and to minimize uh, uncertainty. Right. True, but at the end of the day, it remains an assumption. Yeah, at the end of the day, it remains an assumption, but a very highly thought of, highly useful assumption okay maybe it doesn't have to be useful but maybe it has gone through like here's an assumption there's bad assumptions and there's good assumptions bad assumption onion under the chair it will cucumber it good assumption a vaccine that have been tested for years now we have tested it for millions of people bulletproof so take take two assumptions shoot at it with you know so many you know bad assumption not bulletproof Good assumption. But once again, the example that you are taking is once again more towards the side of uh, senses. So we have seen that oh, vaccine goes into the body, and this person was immune before, uh, was not immune before, now is immune. So it's, it all connects back to senses. I want to I want to focus more so we can actually highlight the question. Uh, would you say that um, scientific discoveries that do not have any uh, visual or sensory, any sort of sensory uh, proof are still scientific uh, discoveries or still scientifically accurate. So for example, gravity, or for example, the tides of the moon, we cannot see them. We cannot see them. So we build on rationality, like, okay, the moon has a gravitational pull and the water, you know, that maybe it's causing the tides, you know? So, so somewhere, somewhere, uh, even scientific discovery with all its extent, and this is, you know, this is the unfortunate trend that science has taken in the past few centuries. It has relied so much and so much on the empirical school of thought, on the understanding that every single, uh, every single fact, every single thing that is true must be able to be experience through our sensory inputs. That has been the uh, underlying assumption that science has worked with for several centuries. And because of that, we, we, we suffer uh, on the rationality part of the school, you know, that for example, if I talk about 
a lot of things in logic and philosophy, uh, like the knowledge argument. They were not, let's say, you know, pursued as per as other scientific ideas were. So we created a sort of a world that talks, sort of a world that talks only about experiments and repeating that experiments, like you mentioned, and anything that passes that filter of experiments. And at the end of the day, can be experienced through my senses firsthand is what remains true. But you see that when you talk about epistemology and you talk about the nature of knowledge, we know that that is far from truth. Our entire understanding of the existence of the universe to mathematics, to geography for a good long part of the world remained on deductions and reasoning that to this day cannot be, you know, uh, received and proved through our sensory inputs. So, you know, th that's just some, some food for soul that maybe the, the scientific uh, school has to rely more on rationality rather than, uh, rather than experiments. Okay, here, here's what I noticed, right? Uh, number one is that when we assume that something is true, what, one of the things that I noticed from this conversation is that it relies on a sort of rules. It's true in what condition? It's true assuming what? Mm. What are the conditions? Uh, and uh, this led me to, for example, right? Uh, like, um, uh, uh, or did, did someone eat the burger, right? Now, let, let's assume, let's, let's confirm. Assuming a burger is this specific arrangement of molecules that constitutes you know, bread, meat, meat. And, and assuming a salmon, it's not this fish, right? It's a human being with a long beard and combs his hair, you know, like with a, you know, like a, with a, whatever that is, right? And uh, sleeps I'm sorry, you don't have a beard. <laughs> <laughs> right? Let's assume that is a salmon, right? Assuming okay. that is true, then what is the what yes. is what is there to be proved? Uh, then, the, okay, now 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 we move on to some like mathematics. Mathematics are like this. In fact, the reason why I was smiling is because. Um, there is like this, I think, friendly competition between the field of mathematics and the field of physicists, right? Physicists are more closely related to scientists in which they want things to be true. They want things, as you said, senses, right? Maths, they, they love to be useless. This is not from me, okay? This is from Michio Kaku. In fact, mathematicians love it when they're useless. They'll be so proud of uh, like coming up with useless things. They'll be so proud. Of, oh, you know, um, sometimes physicians, sometimes physicists are ahead in which they, you know, they're like, what, what is this? What is this phenomenon on the sky? I cannot prove it, you know? Ha, huh. mathematicians, right? You, you can't solve this problem, right? I'm ahead of you. Sometimes mathematicians are in the way. You're like, ha, huh, here's unreal numbers, right? Here's like all these, you can't use this, right? Completely useless, right? I'm ahead of you. Uh, a good instance is like this. Um, a, a physicist would come to a mathematician and would say, uh, how many, uh, you know, I, I, I want, uh, I, I, I found this particle uh, what is the area of the particle? Uh, and then the physicist is like, okay, how, how many, you know, do, do you know, it, does it depend on the number of sides of the shape? Uh, and, you know, a, a, a physicist would say, a physicist would say, okay, just 
take this particle, uh, you know, like use it in the scanner, and uh, you know, like that's how you guarantee the shape. A mathematician would be like, what is the number of side of the polygon? All right, okay, let me, okay, the number of side, there's a, there's a calculation of the number of side of a polygon. I, I forgot what's the equation, uh, you know, like A-level physics or mathematics or something. So polygon side, N is equal to blah, blah, blah. Something along the lines. So it's like, so it's like, just give me, okay, here's the equation. Just put your number here and it will work out, right? Here's the mathematics. Here's how it will be useful. Okay, I'm bad at explaining the story, but the main basics is, it's like mathematicians are in their own world. They're like, oh, my, my number matches out. Or oh, imaginary numbers, what, whatever the hell that is, right? Uh, you, you think that infinity is the biggest number, but you might be surprised that there are some infinities that are bigger than other infinities. What the hell does that mean? I don't know, but I'm a mathematician. It all matches out. Ooh. But, but the, the, main, the main thing is all the same. A mathematician is proud of proving things if it's within that statement. Like, here's the situation. How would you prove whatever it is in that situation? Right? We see physicists like writing, they're so carried away by empiricism or whatever, right? They're in, the, in their own world. And things are true in their own world. I'm not sure if this getting too carried away. Let me know. But no, I, I think it's I just, get it. I get it. it no, just, it's actually right on track because that's it. Yeah. See, uh, what I notice immediately is that there are two two different points here. Okay. First off, so you talked about this race between uh, maths and physics, right? And I think it's right up on track because it's 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 the same frustration that I have with the world of science in general, coming from the world of philosophy, where philosophy relies so much more on rationality, right? But science relies so much more on sensory input. And, and this is the kind of the battle that we have been going on for so long. And this is, if you actually track it down, this is like in the times of the Greeks, this is where science and philosophy aparted. Because Philosophy was like, there, there is a world, there is a realm beyond your sensory inputs. But science was like, well, that's useless world to me, right? I haven't got nothing to do with that. I need something that I can create inventions out of. So that's where science and uh, philosophy uh, parted so long ago. And it's really interesting to see that mathematics remains in the middle of both, right? So there is logic and formality, formal logic, what we call formal and, you know, other, other attributes of mathematics that we use in philosophy. And then obviously heavily uh, 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 mathematics is used in physics. So I think mathematics remains in the middle. The idea uh, at the center remaining that all the mathematical components or the mathematical ideas, you cannot prove them with your sensory input. You know, exactly. they have exactly. nothing to do with your sensory input. The second very important point that I notice is that you know, at the end of the day, even physics or all other sciences that take great pride in their understandings and demonstrations of their ideas through visual or sensory experiments and sensory demonstrations, at the end of the day, they also take refuge in the world of logic 
which is which cannot be further deduced down to sensory input so you know they're like okay th th there is there's a moon or you know let's say there's there's this earth and there is the sun and we can see this from telescope and we have set you know we have set artificial satellites outside that have noticed that the earth actually rotates around the sun but at the end of the day they're like so how many days does it take oh, it takes 356 days but 356 what's that prove it through your senses and science is like no that's mathematics work do you get me right at the end of the day even science with all their understandings of sensory input and their emphasis on sensory input at the end of the day they also resort to mathematics and logic and deduction so they start off with experiments they're like oh this is you know this is i can see that i can observe that and you know uh, i can prove that through experiments but at the end of the day when they are using mathematics they are resorting to a rational idea that cannot be proven through sensory inputs. So I think that that was really interesting to see that uh, maybe these schools are not too opposing ideas, you know, like, like the world of doctrine has seen for so long and there has been this hostility towards uh, the, the people of doctrine and the people of science who, who, who focus more on experiments and the people of doctrine who focus more on logic itself. But maybe they, they are like building blocks of each other. So maybe you can start with exponential uh, experiments and sensory understandings, but at the end of the day, it, it, you reduce it to, to rational, which, which is not uh, possible to uh, prove or even experience through sensory input. So I think that that was just a very interesting outlook in general about what we understand about the world is not binary. It's, it's, it's somewhere between but that also brings us uh, closer to the question that is, is mathematics, will, you know, can mathematics actually, let's just say, exist? <laughs> Does it even exist? <laughs> I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't help but think about it because how, how do you prove that a number exists? How do you prove that 356 exists? What, what is 356? But I think, you know... Yeah, we're getting really uh, far away and um, I would love to see that in, I love to go down that path because these, these are more about the post-story and the priori uh, knowledge. So that is something for the critique of pure reason, I think, you know, what we understand as maths or numbers or countables, uncountables, what are those? So I think that is something for another day. For now, yeah. this was epistemology and uh, our understandings about epistemology. I believe this, this episode was all over the place, especially because of how broad this concept is. But, uh, uh, but you know what? Okay, maybe, maybe, uh, okay, maybe uh, actually I would love to continue this, but you know, uh, it's, it's already late. So uh, we, have, uh, we have things to do tomorrow, but just, just something I noticed, like, it's like, um, I, I like to. I, I'm interested to see where does where does uh, philosophy, or, or, or as you say, uh, uh, the doctrine, uh, or, or and science, where, where do they collide? Because that'll be interesting. Forget, for example, uh, it, it's interesting to see where science, physics, 
and mathematics collide. You know, of course, there there's separate fields. Sometimes there, if you see Van diagrams like this, right? For example, one interesting part that we can explore in the future episodes. Now, by collide, do you mean conflict or overlap? Overlap, overlap, overlap. Okay. And we can see how how the mechanic how it you know how it differentiates. For example, like this, right? I'm not sure what you make of this instance, but in the future, uh, self-driving cars, self-driving cars are already around. And I think five years ago, there was this uh, questionnaire online that I was uh, attending. Uh, I think it was by MIT. And the question is like this, we already have self-driving cars. So here's an instance, here's a trolley problem. Mm -hmm. The self car is moving right and there's a there's a grandfather here and there's a pregnant woman here uh, and it can only hit one or two which one should it hit so i think this is an instance where it's so interesting where you know like science and technology merges with philosophy suddenly suddenly the you know, and this is extremely important i remember that this was a thing back then yes it was a good phenomenon like a wild phenomena and i think this is why it is extremely important for the scientific world to pay more attention towards doctrine or philosophy in general. Because like I said in the beginning, philosophy deals heavily, rather the entire world of philosophy uh, in, in one way or another revolves around virtue, or at least virtue or morality is something that philosophy cannot ignore at all. And, you know, because of how much science and corporations, let's just say, have mingled lately because of that, uh, science has lately been avoiding these questions of morality. Like, okay, here's my understanding. Science does not care about morality. That's neutral. Just not neutral. Neutral. Okay, neutral. Yeah. But it doesn't care about morality in, you know, as, as a whole. It's not even a thing for it. You know, it's not even an invention of science. It's a, if, if there was no philosophy, there would be no morality, I would argue. Right. But the thing is, uh, now that you have to present those scientific inventions into a world of moral beings, hence the questions of morality are given birth. But the reason they are so bizarre and everybody is clueless about that is because all this while when the scientific discoveries and inventions were going on, we didn't care about morality. And now all of a sudden we are like, who will this car hit? And I am afraid if science continues to go down this line, uh, we will produce a, a, a generation of human beings that will not be concerned with morality either. Because at the end of the day, there will be a human being sitting inside of that self-driving car. And the more and more we, we use these uh, moral-less technologies, we will become one with them. So I think this is why this is the peak tide where morality and philosophy should really, really interfere and tell, tell science to change its direction towards virtue. I like that. I like that. Um, uh, it's like th this opens a whole new uh, can of worms. I don't know. It, it's also like technology, right? Instagram for kids. Is it good? You know, it's using technology, it's using science, but is it good? Is it moral to show these kids pictures of, you know, like something that they've never seen before? Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, should Instagram be moral? Should, uh, you know, like capitalism, is it moral to like just squeeze apples to squeeze out all all these Chinese workers, sweatshops, is it sweatshops? Yeah. Is it moral? Uh, uh, I think that, that's Instagram a... is a prime example. And, yeah. you know, it's a demonstration of what I just said that for so long, since like 2007, Facebook, when seven or four, 
when Facebook came out, when social media came out, since then till now, you're just increasing the scientific understand the science behind social media. So algorithm, 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 data learning, machine learning. And yep. now suddenly when it, when it has reached its peak, now suddenly you're like, oh no, body imaging is a big problem for our society. But you're the one who created the algorithm that will promote the most ideal body figure. So, you know, it connects back to that when science is, is growing uh, unsupervised, unconcerned and unbothered about virtue and morality, then this is evidently going to affect the society and at the end of the day, the user of science. So I think this is, this is really something that needs to be addressed in one way or another. Mm. Uh, I think this is very, very interesting. And I think something that I don't think about, you know, uh, of course, you know, in the ideal future, it, you know, we all should be working together, scientists, uh, philosophers, you know, like trying to figure out how, what is the best way to operate the world. And I, 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 don't think, I don't think it's one, one field to rule them all. You know, I think it's a collaboration between all different fields. And I think the, the better we communicate with each other. And I think yeah. it's important to have dialogues like these. Is that me? Like me, it's like, what? You know, I, I heard this joke, joke from Ricky Gervais. The atomic bomb in Hiroshima, people say, science gone, science gone wrong. Science gone bad. They kill millions of people. No, actually, no. That's actually science gone right. Science gone wrong is this. That's science gone wrong. Science gone right. Why? Because science, mean is, the a... science is working. It was just designed. <laughs> it is working, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the morality, but science is working. So science is neutral ground. Does it work or you know, it doesn't work? Interesting. You know, it, it's really interesting that historically we have seen such civilization. You know, usually you come across a, a period of time. I do not want to, you know, specify it because it's it's broad and different for different geographical areas. But one one key hint is you come across some personalities. You 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 Wikipedia them and it says. Astronomer, geologist, physicist, scientist, mathematics, you know, polymath. Why? Because exactly like you mentioned that there is no one field to rule them all. A lot of these fields must come together for, for a balance between scientific advancements and a balance between social advancements, you know, keeping in mind how, how society has been made. It is, it is daunting how scientists in their own lab have no idea how the real world works. And, you know, I mean, they know how to, how to squeeze it to get the work done, but they do not know how, how, how to flourish a society as a society. You know, this is why we see that uh, all these latest ideas of digital technology, every five to 10 years after the product has been invented, they're trying to, you know, uh, they're trying to minimize the damage. They're like, okay, now let's create YouTube for kids. Okay, so we created these screens that, that destroyed your eyes for 10 years, now introducing nightlight. You didn't know that when you were creating the screens in the first place. So <laughs> something like that, that uh, <laughs> science does not know what it's doing. It's just, this is my favorite example, you know. Uh, in 2014 or something, Samsung created S7 Edge. Like, okay, we can mold, bend the edge of the screen, okay? Everybody was like, wow, three years later, you know, I think it started with S6, S6, S7, S8. 
three years later they're like Ethics we first, can yeah. bend the glass but why do we need to bend the glass <laughs> <laughs> why does a foon need a curved edge so i think from s9 or s10 they removed it <laughs> yeah back to flat. so something about the science just randomly just doing whatever it can and it has no sense of direction so you know uh, no, for, like for that. That. yeah sorry someone i just need to correct you okay. uh, it had a sense of direction because it's motivated by money you know True. in the mobile market everyone's competitive you know samsung and apple especially i need to get the latest i i need to get a unique selling point anything curved screen ooh right now you see the same pattern you know uh, flip phones is it really useful i don't know but it's gimmicky it's unique if you have it you're among the people so it, it it was motivated by something uh, but, but the I, direction is arguably wrong uh arguably you can see you know it's maybe more right maybe more wrong mm-hmm. you know a, a, a wrong a wrong one as evident was when the uh, uh, Samsung Galaxy Note 7 right that was wrong because they put an unsafe battery mm-hmm. and suddenly mm-hmm. you know, like it became Samsung's worst PR because suddenly in every airport it says if you have a Samsung Galaxy Note 7 don't bring it here it's a bomb right that's that, that's bad marketing for Samsung you know like that that's free bad marketing right yeah. where does it come from is, is it science uh, or, or maybe it's just capitalism maybe it's a different field because they just want to put in as thin as possible even if it's risky put it in uh, i don't know so i, I think maybe you're right it's it's multi multi fields yeah but maybe i think it it connects back to the fact that you know like you're saying unique selling point but do we need it we don't we didn't even know that was possible we didn't even think you know you know when you google uh, futuristic phone concepts none of them are like curved screen or flip edges the the, the things that the pro, the companies are actually designing nobody wanted that so <laughs> so um something about that the, the scientific inventions are not happening with the right direction which is you know they're supposed to be a benefit for the society but if if their target audience is or if their target is just monopoly and uh, money and marketing and capitalization then that means that they will ev- evidently and gradually be a bane for the society like we have seen but you know f- phones exploding that is something we can all agree that oh oh my god it's a bane for society but let's talk about you know uh, the the banes that were let's say gradual or the ones that even today they want us to believe that it's a new norm the metaverse nobody asked for it why is it a thing but you know now they're trying to sell it us to us you know you buy houses in it you you do virtual reality shows in it why nobody asked for it everybody is creeped out just today i was watching some i don't know what was the name of that robot or something like full humanoid size robot you know speaking uh speaking with natural language axa or something so that was I the name and every everybody commented who who wants this why why is this a thing delete this burn this this is not the right ear <laughs> 
So I wonder why and how does a company go like, let's create a human robot despite all these uh, philosophers. You know, the idea that we discussed earlier about uh, AI taking over that actually comes from philosophy. Science is not that capable to, to measure its own problems. And that's why we see it has ignored it time to time and continued with creation of such AI and stuff. And even though my position on AI is generally very accepting, but uh, it, it must be a given that it should be under the philosophical idea of virtue. These are some thoughts to think about. And uh, yeah, I think um, that is it for this episode. Uh, do, do you want to share anything further? We talked about no, epistemology. I, we want, talked about the nature of knowledge, the theory of knowledge. It was, it, it was all over the place because of how I would say this is a pretty complex topic. Well, it is a pretty complex topic. Uh, if we missed something, if we were wrong about something, feel free to add on. Uh, no, would you like to add on? My general idea is when I look at epistemology, I'm like, what the hell are these philosophers smoking? <laughs> and I'm like, like what, something so simple. I mean, I, I'm looking it up and I'm like, you know, what's like, I mean, there's some philosophers that I look up and one of them is like this, like, like just, just look at, like there's these people of different fields. Uh, I think from uh, something that we didn't mention is um, skepticism, right? Oh, there's the, yes. Yeah, uh, the, there's, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to lengthen it, but Cartesian way. I'm, I just saw this, Cartesian way, Russellian way, Amorian way. All of them have mm -hmm. different parties towards this. Cartesian is like, I think, therefore I am. Whoa. Uh, Resilient is like, uh, there has to be like, um, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, like, uh, like, th there has to be like a God figure or something, right? Uh, and then Morian was like, what the hell are you guys smoking, man? Just, just look at your arms, right? It's true, right? Okay, don't think too much. That's it. So, 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 so many different like arguments and uh, interesting to see these different personalities. But I think in the end, what I think it comes down to is that like it all boils down to this for me. Maybe it's the scientist in me, but it all boils down to this. Is it useful? Is it useful? Because when I watch The Matrix, I'm like, oh, is this the real world? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, sh should I just not do my job? Because maybe my job is not even real. Do I fear? Maybe my feelings are not even real. It makes me even more unproductive. What are my choices? Well, just, just move on, you know, like there's, there's nothing to think about it. So in the end, for, for me, as a layman, as a man of logic, how useful is it for me? You know, are you know these... I, I often say to, to people who, who question philosophy as a useful or useless device, I often, and this is usually their argument that if I start questioning everything, I will become unproductive. And I tell them that if by any chance you find the answers to the solutions, you will become 10,000 times more productive. So it really depends on where you are in your journey of knowledge. And it's a given that philosophy is not for everyone. I do not recommend everybody to dive into philosophy, especially if you are in a volatile stage at your life. But I think in a more demo, in a more poetic sense, every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, true. That's true. Uh, I agree I think, with that volatile sense. 
what? Like, uh, like, no, no, no. Like, um, there's my. I had a friend. I, I'm not sure if you've seen the movie. Um, uh, like, uh, there's this movie that Soul. Soul. Have you seen S O U L? So, but this person dies and he goes to the afterlife, and it's like, oh, you know, like, uh, it's by Disney actually. Very interesting. Maybe you should look it up. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, I was I was telling my friend, wow, it's so interesting, you know, like, what if the afterlife is like this, you know, oh, right. And then my friend's like, what? No, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm depressed at my job. And I watch that and I'm even more depressed. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, mate. maybe it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree no, about that. Yeah. All, fields, all fields are not for everybody, right? So I think, yes, uh, if, this is something even philosophers agree that uh, if you know it, it, it will make you unproductive in one way or another so do not dive into that in that sense in other words do not let the intellectuality or the intellectual works affect you in a personal way if that makes sense but honestly here, here's where I think it was really important here's why I think uh, philosophy uh, changed its entire direction when epistemology was introduced uh, I think uh, I forgot who writes it. Some scholar famously remarks, pre-Socratic scholars were extremely dogmatic. You know, so when you do not question your own beliefs, then you become dogmatic. And there was a good, there's a good amount of evidence to suggest that uh, pre-Socratic scholars, philosophers especially, they would they would sometimes just dwell into what you would call a a quasi religion or something, some sort of, you know, they, they become some sort of religious figures because they're like, this is what I believe. And this is absolute. Everybody must follow this or else you are heretics. So yeah. philosophy, especially epistemology did a huge favor to the world that they said, it's okay. Nothing is absolute. Everything can be questioned. Let's all sit down and question what we already know. And I think yeah. these are the footsteps that later uh, that, that Socrates is said to have uh, been really famous for, I know that I do not know anything. So I think it, it played a huge role. When you shake the foundations, it, humi- it, it humbles you. So, you know, philosophers and, relig- and scholars, they are sometimes at the ninth cloud. But when you shake your own foundations, it sometimes humbles you down. And you're like, maybe everything I know is wrong. And I think uh, the, the right way to proceed with it is not to take it on a personal scale and be like, if nothing is wrong, if everything is a simulation, if everything is uh, a, a, a not reality, then I don't need to do anything. But maybe you can think of it like, if, if maybe everything is true, maybe it is not true. But you know what? It gives me a chance to reevaluate myself every single second. So I think in this way, epistemology did a favor to all the world that it saved us from many to be tyrants and dogmats because we, we believe we introduce checks within our own knowledge. So we are continuously checking if what we are thinking and uh, understanding is correct or not. And I would argue that is what gave birth to science as we know today. So this, this is my understanding of why epistemology is important, why philosophy is important in general. And um, I think we'll end with this. All right. Uh, it was a really interesting session. If we missed anything, if we uh, misinterpreted anything, feel free to 
engage and uh, let us all learn together uh, because as Socrates said, we know that we don't know anything. And with that, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much, Bill, for joining. I'll see you next Grace. week.